Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the BM Cast. Not a podcast that's still got all these, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I'm Scott and I'm joined by the Tron Queen herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Hi Scott, I'm doing okay. Do you ever have one of those weeks where you just kind of blink and it disappears? Yeah, yeah, I've had yeah. I've had those weeks where it flickers. Yeah, that that was that <laughs> that was me this week. It's just like I've not been able to play any magic. So if you listen to the episode last week, I started a vintage cube with blue white control. I managed to play yeah. like two games of it, so I need to finish that this week. I think that's my that, that, yeah, that's my goal for this week is just to finish my blue white control vintage deck, um, vintage cube, and I'm one one at the moment. So hopefully I can recoup some losses. How about you? Nice. Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. There's been uh, there's been a lot of stuff going on, but I think in terms of magic, the best thing was uh, last night. I played some popper with um, with Leanne. Mm. That was good. That was good. I introduced her to Affinity the first time that she's ever played Affinity uh, in Popper. If Affinity and Popper, if anyone hasn't played it, is Affinity as Affinity is supposed to be with artifact lands and creatures that actually have Affinity for artifacts. You know, it was really good to see her, you know, tapping one or two lands and going, I think, okay, I'm play a Murray Enforcer. And I'm like, you don't have to pay any mana for that. That is a free 4-4. And then, you know, you can see the cogs working and she's like, oh, okay. You know, I think our new favorite creature is Atog now, so we'll see how this develops. But uh, <laughs> Atog, it's great. Would you would you say Leanne has an affinity for affinity? Uh, unfortunately, I would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing that it's, that I've I've noticed right is that Pauper is just the best. Like whatever about how how the 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 top of the the Pauper metagame is with Tron and all that sorts of stuff. In paper, no one I know has a Tron deck. Because everyone's like, no, I, I don't think I'll actually be miserable or cause misery upon all of my friends, you know. So they all have cool stuff like mono black control or or is it Delver or you know just really sweet, interesting, interactive decks. So what I think I want to do is I want to get just a bunch of my popper decks. Like I've got eight to ten popper decks and just wow. gra- drag them all up and just like drop them on a table and be like, okay, we we can all we're all gonna have to sit at a distance to do this right, but you know we can we can do it and let's just play popper all day because there's no planeswalkers, there's no dumb broken mythics, there's no nothing it's just really good magic. I really want that. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um Pauper F and M's at my at my local game store. Often oh, yeah. someone would just rock up with eight to ten pauper decks and go, Here you go, and then the event would fire, which is great. Because it mean it gave you the opportunity to play different decks. So I remember playing Affinity in my first Pauper F and M, which was also great, can confirm. And then play stuff like Mono Black Control, Is It Delver, Bogles. I even played Tron for a little bit before it became a, nu- a nuisance. That was also yeah. fun. Um, people who tend to play pauper tend to have more than one deck because they're so cheap so you can yeah. try any old thing and have a have a good time that's it and it's good to know that i'm not the only person that just rocks up with a bunch of decks to an lgs and goes uh if there's enough people around to play i have the decks for you you know it's not a pauper fnm if someone posts in like the facebook thread group going if anyone wants a deck let me know because i have 10 you know <laughs> then they're all pre-assigned because people pick out which ones they want of course yeah yeah, that's me, keeper of the decks. Yeah, I I used to do this all the time, obviously back when the LGS was open and we could actually attend events. Um, but I would rock up with what what was what was affectionately, I, I, I assume affectionately, dubbed the spice rack. Uh one of my birthdays I was given like uh you know, like a, like a milk crate, like a nice wooden one with like a rope handle and it was like sanded and painted and looks all nice and hipstery and stuff. And turns out I'd actually fit like twelve pauper decks snugly into it. 
and it was just the handiest thing I had around to to bring all the popper decks up one time. And then someone was looking at it. And they were like, that's so clever. It's so smart. And uh, then someone called it the spice rack and it's kind of stuck since. So Very nice. Now I can just imagine you waltzing into your LGS with this spice rack, like like a milkman doing his order. Just, you know, popper deck for you. Popper deck for you. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Doing, doing the rounds, <laughs> dropping a few boxes off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly as lame as it sounds. <laughs> So, okay, let's move on before we make even bigger fools of ourselves. And by ourselves, I mean myself. Uh, <laughs> so, so this week, before we jump into what we're doing today, this week in Magic, we're in the middle of Double Masters preview season. Your previews came out. Yeah, um, not the most busted thing you can do in modern, but they're, they're a fun build around. Um, for those who didn't see, I got to preview Cadolfo Forge Master and Duplicant. Um, which also go in the same deck. And Cordolfo mm. Forge Master is really good if you can cheese in a Blightsteel Colossus ahead of curve. Oh, yeah. Plus, Double Masters is just basically Artifact Masters at this point. I'm pretty sure they've reprinted the Tron deck in Double Masters. I Yeah, I, I've, I'm yet to see Ancient Stirrings, but apart from that, you're pretty much there. Yeah, like Chromatic Star has just been previewed, and it's just like, okay, Chromatic Sphere next, maybe? And then we yeah. can just play Sealed and build a Tron deck. Draft and Tron. Oh, best life <laughs> oh god okay and what we also have this week is we only actually we're recording this on sunday we only saw this last night uh was what had announced the set boosters starting from zendikar rising and the set boosters if you haven't seen them it's 14 cards in a pack 12 of which are actual factual magical cards guaranteed and um, there's going to be an art card like they had in modern horizons there's going to be a, a token or an ad slot there's a bunch of other things in there, but essentially the whole the whole idea of these packs is to be for cracking instead of drafting. Like these aren't designed for draft because they realize that roughly half or more of the packs that are purchased are just cracked because people just like cracking packs, you know. So why give them really, really poor value in, in the limited boosters to crack when you can actually just have these set boosters, which apparently... Uh, as of time of recording, they're supposed to be roughly a dollar more than the regular draft boosters. But by the sounds of it, you get a bit more value. And you, there's there's a whole reasoning behind the design and the order in which the cards come in the pack and everything. So it's it's almost like an experience every time. So I kind of like that idea. Yeah, no? I'm, I'm a big fan of the set boosters just because it's a nice middle ground between the collector boosters, which are super expensive and for people who like foils and alternate arts and these really elegant mm-hmm. cards. And then you've got the other end, which is just the draft boosters, which are meant for playing. It, it feel, kind of feels bad when you crack a pack and you want to buy a pack and you crack it and you're like, oh, yeah, because it's meant to be drafted. Yep. The set boosters just seem a nice middle ground and they seem quite thematic in a way. So I anticipate yep. with Zendikar Rising, we'll see some nice synergy, some nice themes, and you can kind of get that from opening these set boosters. Don't get me wrong, mm. I love cracking a pack once in a while, so I'll definitely be picking some of these up because... It, it kind of feels more personal, I guess. It feels a bit more that what's you put a bit of effort into it. Yeah, I can agree with that. And like, I'll be honest to anyone that is listening that doesn't know this about me already. I don't really like limited. Um, that's that's a me thing. But uh, I love cracking packs, though. And I will always crack packs. So for me, I'm always going to pick up the odd pack here and there from my from my LGS to help support them and just, you know, crack a few here and there. Or, you know, like if I do well in an event, I'll pick up a couple of packs as my prize support. Um, but now I'm just going to pick these up instead, have a better time. Because like week one of a new set, I'll buy a bunch of packs 
and I'll skim through them and I'll look at the commons and I'll pull some ones that'll be playable and pauper and that kind of thing out and some of the, the constructed playable uncommons and so on before getting to the rare. After week mm-hmm. one, I would crack a pack and just go, what's the rare? Throw the rest out. Yeah. You know, like there's no fun, there's no value anymore. But with these, it's really interesting because like the commons and uncommons, they said, wasn't it that they were going to have some sort of like theme or, or some sort of thing that links them, whether they're all a specific type of card or there's something lore-wise. Yeah, like, or... like if they have a particular mechanic. So mm. I'm going to put a hedge out there. Landfall's probably coming back because we're going to Zendikar. You know, I think mm. that's a pretty safe bet. Um, so yeah. who knows, we might see a set booster that has a like a landfall theme that works around a particular mechanic, for example. Yeah. Um, they kind of feel like jumpstart boosters in a weird way, where they just are based around a particular concept. Yeah. I think I like that idea because, like, obviously there's more than one type of player. Sure, like, people can argue that they're loot boxes or whatever, but, like, if people want them, just give them to people. Like, it's fine, you know? Yeah, and one thing that's good to note as well, that these set boosters will have multiple rares and mythics in them as well. It, you won't be slotted just to the singular rare or mythic as you would in a draft booster. So there's potential that you might get some more value out of it. But yeah, for sure. in terms of the experience, the set booster just seems a lot better. And... I think this kind of product is perfect for when we can play paper events again, like FNMs, for example. They're really good prize boosters because yep. they're meant for cracking. And I don't know anyone who doesn't keep boosters no. sealed after an FNM. No, the, the, the boosters that you win and prizes after an FNM are actually just additional rubbish for the LGS to deal with. Like, that's, that's all they usually are, you know, minus a rare card out of it. But, um, so... What is the main topic that we're going to talk about today, Emma? So we're going to be a bit blue, double D, double da. Um, we, so last week we started the... <laughs> Sorry, I had to get it in there. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, if I was green, I would die. But Yeah. Um, so last week we started our $100 modern challenge where we take a colour and pick out playables that you can pick up for your modern collection. So last week we mm-hmm. started with white. And this week we're going to start with blue. Yes, indeed. And blue's a lot more interesting compared to white. It's not as easy just to curate a list because blue offers a much different role than white in modern. Yeah, where white has a couple of specific roles, like hate pieces or sideboard cards and stuff that they really, really excel at. Outside of that, there's not really a whole lot that's either unique or, or powerful. But with blue... It's a little more nebulous, you know, like rather than one or two main things that it's good at, it's it's pretty good at many things, you know. And I think this is what, one of the reasons why blue is like one of the most powerful colors in Magic historically, because it has the ability to adapt into different archetypes and stuff. Absolutely. And looking at, at the top end of the modern metagame at the moment, blue's not seeing that much play purely because, you know, Astrolay's been banned. So the banned piles that were around aren't that prevalent at the moment. But there is a couple of ways you can incorporate blue in modern from a budget outlook yeah. that we're going to look over today. Absolutely. Now, why would we play blue? Specifically, the reasons for, for playing blue. Well, it has a tendency to be quite efficient, you know, like particularly recently you've seen stuff like Mystical Dispute or, you know, traditionally stuff like Dispel or Spell Pierce while situational are very, very efficient. Um, really good as a support colour as well, similar to white, but in a different way, I suppose. Yeah, it's really odd because when I think about blue, especially at the moment, I tend to think of like spelled-in strategy, so prowess is, mm. is the best example of that. And prowess is predominantly a red strategy, 
but it does it mm. can splash blue for the spells that you've mentioned it, it's like a counter burn kind of deck yeah and there's nothing wrong with splashing blue in a red deck to get the perfect guild combo <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that at all you know is it for life? In- but anyway <laughs> i was gonna say are you it is it mage by any chance <laughs> uh you know damn well that i am <laughs> blue is also very much a combo color um and this really sort of rings true in in a few of the cards in particular like for example traditionally for for years the like a win con for a lot of blue based combo decks has been like laboratory maniac and now we have Tassa's Oracle and Jace Wielder of Mysteries. And there's loads of like alternate wing cons and stuff like that, that other colors just do not have. Another good example is like Blue Black Mill in Modern. You know, that's mm. mostly a blue strategy. Also, fun fact, did you know in Japan they call Blue Black Mill Blue Black Library Destruction? And that just <laughs> sounds far more elegant than Mill. Yeah, Deck Ponza. Deck Ponza. <laughs> there we go. We christened the new name. <laughs> D- Demir Deck Ponza. I love it. <laughs> So, yeah, blue has a good way of winning the game, just not in ways that you often realise, such as, like last week we talked about white cards, and the best way to win white cards is tend to go aggressive and go face. Blue yeah. has a has a lot more unconventional way of doing it, and it's quite interesting. Yeah, for sure. Mm. So what we've got here is we have a couple of the, the main strengths of blue, and we've sort of broken it down into a couple of different things. We touched on a couple already, but we're just going to go a little bit further into them now. And then, as we did last week, we're going to go into our top five. And then, at the end, we will have a talk about a deck that is either mono blue or predominantly blue. But we'll get to that. So, first up, let's talk cantrips, okay? So, cantrips in modern. This is my wheelhouse now. We're in Scott yes. territory here. This is welcome to flavor country. So cantrips, to anyone that doesn't know, generally speaking, cantrips is the term that's used for one mana spells that draw you a card. They might do something else, but generally it's a one mana spell and draws you a card. A uh, perfect example is currently in standard and will, by the looks of it will be in standard from now until forever. And that's opt. One yeah. blue mana for an instant, scry one, draw a card. Doesn't really do a whole lot on on its face, but if you have enough of these in your deck, you can filter through your deck with incredible speed, and your deck becomes unbelievably consistent. You know, and I, I suppose we can kind of cover all of them here in the one in the one fell swoop. So the the main ones to point out in modern are opt, serum visions, thought scarer, and sleight of hand. They're all roughly the same. That's why we're kind of going to group them all together, but. The fact that you have such a density of them in the format really allows for certain strategies and stuff to really take form. Like, say, Gift Storm has like 12 cantrips in, in the deck. Ad Nauseam's another good example. It runs Sleight of mm. Hand and Serum Visions. And, you know, like Gift Storm, that is a combo deck. So you run these cantrips because you want to find your combo and your, aunt and your win condition as soon as possible. And these yeah. are why it's so good. Even in something like Blue White Control, we see opt a lot as well because it's just something to do on your opponent's turn and just to get an idea of what you're drawing into next. And you can kind of have an idea of what you want to, where you want the game to go. Yeah. And with opt, actually, now that you mentioned Blue White Control, opt is really nice when terminus is nice. Yes. You can set up a terminus for your opponent's turn and then you can opt into it and set it off. So you can use cantrips in ways that aren't uh, typical. Like, for example, one of the one of the famous ways is, say, using Thought Scarer to mill yourself in order to help fuel your graveyard for a Gurmag Angler, we'll say, mm. out of, say, like Death Shadow. 
there, there's a lot on the internet already about cantrip theory and when to use what and all sorts of stuff. And I'm not going to claim that I'm any kind of expert. I've cast more ops in my life than possibly anyone else. But that doesn't mean I'm good at it. But like generally speaking, opt is nice because, well, first of all, it's, it's instant speed. So that's nice. You can hold up interaction. If nothing happens, you can opt on end step or whatever. Or you can use it for setting up stuff like miracles. Um, serum visions is probably the best i would say would you agree for like turn one serum visions you draw a card and then you're going to set up your next potentially two draws it's so powerful yeah it's so so good and then thought scare like we said helps to either mill yourself or your opponent and the one thing i like about sleight of hand over say like opt is it gets around narset part of reveals Yes. Because you don't actually draw the card. You look at two, put one in your hand and one on the bottom of the library. Get Reckmouse it. They're really good and they do have different scenarios in which they're good. But like on the whole, they're all roughly the same sort of power level. I'm pretty sure Frank Carson's done an article about it, which you can probably find on the internet somewhere about cantrip theory and which ones you should run in order to find a particular card, for example. Yeah. But no, um, I agree. Serum Visions is it's probably the best cantrip in modern so far you know we don't know what's mm. on the horizon so uh, i'll stop gushing after after this about cantrips but one thing that cantrips are really really good at is also reducing the land count of yes. your deck because modern you don't really want to be running tons and tons of lands unless you're a titan or valica based strategy or both you know there are decks that run like for example i said the gift storm i have gift storm myself fetchless storm and it has 17 lands that's an absurd number, but it's down to the fact that you, you're running so many cantrips, you know, in order to facilitate 17 lands. So nearly everything you draw is gas, which is great. But uh, cantrips, one of the most important reasons to play blue is to get good filtering. Yes. What else is good about blue, Emma? Unsurprisingly, what is also great about blue is the suite of counter spells that are available in modern. When we talk about counter spells in modern, you might think, oh, Cryptic Command and Force Negation. Unfortunately, those cards are super duper expensive at the moment, just given their deep rooted mm. application in the format. Despite yep. this, there are plenty of counter spells at the common and uncommon rarity, which often see quite a lot of play in modern. So we have stuff like Mana Leak, for example. Like mm. Stubborn Denial is great in Death Shadow, for example, if you can meet the Ferocious criteria. And um, stuff mm. like Deprive, Negate, Disdainful Stroke, Spell Snare, even Spell Pierce is really good. It's just knowing yeah. which ones you want to use in whatever deck you have and against the opponent. I always find the hardest thing when it comes to playing a control strategy in modern is kind of knowing which counter spell to use on which spell. And I think that yeah. comes with format knowledge. But in most cases, blue decks are just really good at just saying nope and just either like drawing a card off it or accruing some value off it. So Remand's also a really good mm. example of that. Yeah. Because you can count the spell, but you trade it for a card. And, you know, that's great because drawing cards is great. Drawing cards is great. I don't actually think I know a single person that dislikes drawing cards. Um, dredge players might not like it. Yeah, well, I mean, they like their cards to say draw a card. They just don't. <laughs> you know when a dredge has to draw on their draw set, you know it's bad. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but yeah, counterspells, they're definitely a hard thing to work with because not only, like you said, needing format knowledge in order to utilize them best, but also the, the split as well. Because in formats, mm. say like Pauper, right, you run four counterspell and then tweak it from there you know like you might add like a, a dispel if you want to have a little bit of protection against like instant speed interaction or whatever and that's fine you don't have counterspell in modern so you have to find out which is the best thing to use so delver decks will do this 
and stuff and blue white control as well where they will have a a weird split like you'll see like a two three three two one two split of counter spells you know say like three mana leak and like one spell snare and two spell pierce and a negate and it's it's really weird in modern because of the lack of actual factual counter spell that you have to do this weird sort of balancing act with them mm. and it's it it's very heavily based on metagame but the the beauty of counter spells in modern is how much you can tweak them to suit your your play style or your metagame or whatever you want yeah uh, absolutely and one thing i've noticed with the amount of counter spells that are in modern is that there is an answer to pretty much every threat in modern it's just mm. knowing which quantity to run the next one is, well, it's one that is, is synonymous with blue and has been since, well, basically day one. And that is card draw and value. Drawing more cards is good, is always good. Things like uh, Factor Fiction, which came in with Modern Horizons, and Frantic Inventory, which came in with Corsa 21. These are, you know, cards that draw you multiple cards um, over the course of a given game they're just really good like really really good and it's really nice to play you know they work very well with counter spells because you know the traditional thing you hold up a counter spell if your opponent doesn't act or doesn't play anything of note then you can just go end turn factor fiction or you know hieroglyphic illumination or whatever it is you're playing and it just feels good you know and generally speaking if you're playing blue in your deck there's a good chance you're going to be able to mulligan reasonably well because you're going to be able to recoup some of the loss by drawing more because there are so many cards that give you incidental value in blue or literally just give you straight up card advantage so yeah blue's great for that and they also tie in really well with the whole cantrip as well yes you can play a counter spell that draws you a card but you can also set that up with a cantrip you played on turn one yeah it's a really powerful thing and there's something blue's just fantastically well known for there's not a whole lot to talk about on that it's just card draw is (laughs) great yeah it's just you could say it's one of the biggest draws to play blue haha Um, (laughs) (laughs) but next another good thing about playing blue is the fact that it's very tempo orientated so Mm. if we take a strategy like delver secrets more often than not it is like a counter burn deck even counter spells are really good tempo play because it stops the opponent from doing something allowing you to do your thing say you're like to protect your delver or just to stop like a board wipe or just stop someone looking at your hand there's a lot of really good tempo spells in blue. So as I For mentioned sure. earlier, Remand is a fantastic one. And then there's newer stuff such as Brazen Borrow, which I know you're a big fan of, Scott. Oh, the, as soon as I saw this card, I was like, look, I know this is going to cost me some money, but I need to play set right yeah. now. And stuff like Echoing Truth is also really good. And what we are now seeing in modern, thanks to the Stoneforge Mystic Unban, is that modern is very permanent focused. So mm. we're seeing a lot of board states and battlefield matters metagame. Yep. So stuff like Brazen Borrower and Echoing Truth are absolutely fantastic because it just clears the board, allowing you to push through damage with mm-hmm. your Delver of Secrets or your Flipped Fling in the Eyes, for example. And even then, Fling in the Eyes is a great tempo play as well because it just bounces yeah. everything when it's flipped. But yeah, mm-hmm. so so Blue's really good for tempo and really good at just outgrinding the game. Absolutely, yeah. The, the great thing about pretty much all of the cards that you've mentioned, I know this is kind of memed a bit, but they're basically all time walks, you know? Hmm. Like, your opponent plays, like, a, a four-mana threat or something, and then you go end of turn, petty theft that back to your hand, untap, uh, like, go, you know? And, like, at that point, you can then remand it, and it goes back to their hand, and you've replaced it. They're no further ahead, but you can maybe slip a Brazen Borrower in through or start getting some attacks in. And, like, being able to push your opponent off the game plan 
while still executing yours, it that that is something that blue does far, far, far better than any other color. Agreed. Another great thing about Tempo with stuff like uh, Echoing Truth or even Vapor Snags are a great example. Mm. You can use them on your own threats. So you can Vapor Snag the Brazen Borrow back to your hand so you can Petty Theft and do it all over again. Yeah. Now, obviously, they're not like ideal plays, but the fact that you have the option to do those things yeah. is, is really nice. That kind of modality and like different lines of play that you can take that are not necessarily typical uses of the cards and stuff fits in with another point that's really really good about blue and that is the modality blue is one of the most modal colors if not the most modal color in all of magic you know it it has the ability to change and adapt based on the situation there are a number of cards that are very very obvious in how they do that like for example a personal favorite of well both of ours really is uh, mm. is archmage's charm the blue 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 instant that is, oh, I'm going to read it off from memory and I'm probably going to get it wrong. Uh, counter target spell, draw two cards or gain control of target non-land permanent with CMC one or less. Correct. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so that is a perfect example of modality at its finest. It is not very good value on any of those modes. But the fact is you have the choice of all three at any given time. That's what makes it so good. And that's why if you're playing any sort of blue based deck and you can fit yeah. these in just do it it's, it's great uh, like cryptic commands another great example where in, mo- yeah. in like 90 percent of the time you're going to be counter draw or um, counter bounce a mystic sanctuary or, yeah. count- or counter bounce a mystic <laughs> sanctuary one that people forget is that it can tap all creatures as well and yeah. everyone just seems to think that cryptic commanders has two modes and it's like oh there's some hidden modes on there that you've completely forgot hidden hidden modes that are just written on the card <laughs> yeah there's a lot of decision trees when it comes to playing blue decks and that might mm. feel a little bit intimidating and a bit uncomfortable however it's those sort of skills those sort of decision making skills that will make you a better player um, and then you know what modes to attack particular decks and stuff so through mm. experience they're pretty good to play for sure for sure yeah, a perfect example of, of modality as well is, I know we've brought it up a few times, but it is probably one of my favorite cards of all time, and that is Remand. You know, yeah. like Remand, like we said earlier, can put your opponent off a turn while replacing itself, but another deck that we've mentioned a couple times already, Gift Storm, use it to hugely increase the storm count. So if you've never seen this before, say like if your storm count is like 10 and your opponent is on 20 life. So you cast Grapeshot, hold priority, the storm trigger will happen and all of the copies of uh, Grapeshot will go onto the stack and then you can remand your own Grapeshot back to your hand. The storm copies will still resolve. You'll do whatever, 10 to your opponent's face and then you can Grapeshot again. And having that option while also providing a way to maybe protect your mana reducer like Brawl or Goblin Electromancer for a turn, that is the modality in in cards like Remand that make them so unbelievably powerful. They're often the kind of cards that when when newer players see them, they're like, I don't understand why is this so good. Like, I remember I first looked at Remand, I was like, I don't get it. And then I I played against it and I played with it. And then I was like, oh my God, this card is broken. Who designed this? I was like that with uh, Cryptic Command. When I was first coming to Magic, I'm like, why would you pay like free blue and a generic for all these effects? It feels really expensive and slow. And I'm like, oh wait, I'm I'm not playing modern. That's why. Okay, cool. Now I get it. Yeah. As you alluded to earlier, another thing that Blue's really good at is the spell matters prowess aspect of the colour. So Mm. you have stuff like 
for our chief of compliance, which is absolutely fantastic in Giftstorm because it reduces the cost of your spells, extending yeah. that Goblin Electromancer, which is half a blue card. Honorary um, blue member. Yeah. Honorary blue, honorary yeah. blue mage. But yeah, you have prowess as quite a prominent feature of blue red decks, as you would know, Scott. Um, so you yes. have stuff like Ding in the Ice, Delver Secrets, which we mentioned earlier, not quite prowess, but it benefits from having instants and sorceries. And you can easily make this blisteringly quick, like explosive prowess deck with stuff like Monastery Swiss Spear, even like Soul Scarlet Mage is really good. Even Sprite Dragon, if you're feeling spicy. Yeah. Um, and you could just chain off all these spells and kill people in like two or three turns. Even Kill Fiend is probably an honorary member of the prowess club as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of like super prowess, really, isn't it? That's super duper prowess, but you can you play it alongside blue in most cases. But yeah, you can just run all these cheap counter spells that we mentioned earlier, yeah. couple it with some light lightning bolts and some other burn spells, and you've got a pretty good deck. Mm, for sure. You don't often see blue as an aggressive type, but in this instance where you're just chaining off spells, it, it can be really quick, and you know mm. your opponent could be dead before you know it. That's it. This is this is one of my favorite parts of blue, personally, because while I do like the, my two things, my two things that I love most in in Magic are are combo decks and tempo decks, and generally speaking, prowess kind of decks sort of fit somewhere in between because. Mm you do want to sort of play some stuff that'll interact with your opponent and put them off their game plan just long enough for you to quote unquote combo off with a bunch of spells on one turn and like Mm. hit your opponent for like 15 in the face. It's just, it just feels so good. I feel more people would enjoy prowess style decks or spells matters decks if they just gave them a try, you know, if they just, if they just played a thing in the ice and then the next turn they went to manamorphose into two other spells <laughs> and then like gut shot something, gut shot your opponent's face and then it flips and you're swinging for seven and all it took was casting a couple of cheap spells. Like it feels great. It feels really good. Do you miss is it Phoenix, Scott? Oh, desperately. <laughs> desperately. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're kind of the main things about blue and what makes them so good. So we have got a top five. We've got a top five. It's going to be a little bit different to the top five that we had for white because, well, to be honest, when it came to when it came to white, like I know I know it's real funny and it's a meme to just dunk on white for being crap, but (laughs) we were spoiled for choice with blue, and there are so many different ways you can take this and so many different options available. But weirdly, in at number five, we both sort of agreed on this that number five is all of the cantrips. We can't pick yeah. one. We're just like, look, blue is just synonymous with cantrips and they're just all great. So play them. Yeah, um, absolutely. They're all real cheap as well. Like the most expensive one is, I think, Serum Visions. And that's what, like a dollar fifty each or something. Yeah. The last printing of that was in Model Masters 2017, which is mm. a few years now. So who knows? We might see it in Double Masters. But um, stuff like Opt is going to be evergreen and standard, I think. I think it's similar to like Negate and Evolving Wars, where they're just going to be continually printed in standard. So mm-hmm. their price will be really low. And even something like uh, Slayer Hand has seen a recent reprint, and that's like a dollar. And, you know, spending like 10 bucks getting all these cantrips is, seems a really good investment because you will probably play them at some point, just given what they do. But yes, the cantrips are really cheap. They're really good to have and they will be relevant in modern as long as blue is played, which will be a lot. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, and combo as well. Not to mention like Storm is really cheap. Ad Nauseam is a really good option as well, which uses Serum Visions and Sleight of Hand. So yeah. just having a set and just forgetting about them is, is a nice thing to do. Mm. Um, next on our list is 
not one we've really talked about, uh, which is Narset Power Reveals. It's, it's weird because it's a really good card, but we're not a big fan of what it enables because yeah. it's, it's Narset's one of those cards that you love to play yourself, but you hate going up against it because it just stops you drawing cards, which That's... you kind of want to do if you play in blue, for example. The lack of drawing cards from your opponent can just really, you know, compound their game plan and allow you to go ahead. Um, as we mentioned before, it's a little bit mm. tempo. And for free mana, it's just a good rate. And an uncommon, mm. it's dirt cheap. Yeah. I mean, and this is the thing, like when Narset first came out, it replaced uh, Search for Escanta in the blue-white control decks because crazy. it does Search for Escanta, but then sticks around and, and provides that sort of hate element on your opponent. So, And but, what, Narset's like a dollar just over? And for that effect, it's quite powerful. And then similarly to number five, we have all the counter spells for the most part because... Like, if you're playing blue, it's one of the main reasons to be playing that colour in the first place. But there's no one particular one that we would pick. They're just all good. They're just all good in different situations, you know? Yeah, it feels like we're kind of cheating a bit. But because there's so many counter spells, I think it's better just to group them together. Again, a lot of these are common or uncommon, so they're really, really cheap to pick up. Yeah, and because a lot of them are so cheap, you can take these cheap cards and you can get nice versions of them. Like... The last time, mm. the last time I was at a Magic Fest was Magic Fest Brussels back in like February, I think. It was oh, wow. just before everywhere shut down, and was like, no, everybody stop going <laughs> everywhere, wear a mask, stay indoors, wash your hands, so on. But when I was there, I was walking around for a while, waiting in between rounds of back when Pioneer was good and fun. I was playing Is It in Soul, and it was great. I walked past the vendor, and I noticed that they had full art textless altars of Manalik. And they Ooh, they're were, pretty. They're really nice. They look really, really good. And they were like three euros each. Mm. You know, like like if you still want to sort of trick out some stuff and and save some money at the same time, the counter spells is kind of the way to do it, I think. Yeah, the full arts are really nice. Um, mm. It's not quite as cheap compared to Manly, but the full art negates really nice. I know it's it's yeah. fairly expensive, but if you really want to bling out your counter spells but don't want them foil. And you kind of want your opponent to go, judge, what does this do? Because there's no text on it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. What have we got at number two, Emma? So unsurprisingly, as we've talked about it quite a lot throughout this episode, is Archmage's Charm, which is our favourite card from Modern Horizons. We're a big fan of this card. It's always good. If there's nothing to counter, you can draw a card. Otherwise, you can counter a spell or you can control a permanent that costs one mana or less. And in modern, that is quite prevalent because you have stuff like Amulet of Vigor. You have Champion of the Parish. You even have Death Shadow. So essentially, you can take control of a Death Shadow and kill it because you're probably on more life than your Death Shadow player. Um, It's just a highly versatile card. The triple blue can be quite tricky to meet because Mm. it's quite demanding. However, we just love the versatility of it and it's a really good budget placeholder on Cryptic Command, I feel. Absolutely, yeah. There are two points that I want to make about Archmage's Charm and then I'll finally shut up. Uh, (laughs) Is First of all, I play it in a Delver strategy myself. It doesn't run fetches or anything, but as a result, it only runs, I think, one mountain and all the rest are either islands or dual lands like Steam Vents or Spire Bluff Canal and stuff. So hitting the three blue for Archmage's Charm is, is a breeze in those kinds of decks now obviously Archmage's Charm is the absolute top of the curve there 
but like it's nice to have like a two of in that kind of strategy for late game like oh, i'll draw two or i'll gain control of this or whatever and while it has lost a little bit of power with the banning of Arkham's Astrolabe because it can no longer take control of your opponent's Astrolabes because they're no longer there, it's still really, really good. Like the number of things that you can steal, it doesn't sound like much. CMC one or less doesn't sound like there's many things you can take. But some of my favorite things to steal, like you said, Death Shadow. Ether Vial is a big one. Ooh, yeah, good um, shout. Stealing, a, oh, oh, against a humans player, stealing a champion of the parish. Uh, mm-hmm. When it has like six or seven counters on it, that is beautiful. Taking um, a Noble Hierarch. Noble Hierarch, Monetary Swift Spear. These are all really, really good targets. I, I, I love stealing every single one of them. I got, I got to be honest. <laughs> Again, with modular cards, people don't expect Archmage's Charm to have a steal ability. Like every time I've resolved a Archmage's Charm taking like a Death Shadow, for example, just mm-hmm. like, you what? You can't do that. And I'm like, did you not know yeah. it did this? It's like a hidden ability. Yeah. More of, those like, hid- oh no. more of those hidden modes that are written on the cards. Yep. <laughs> happens happens once in a while or every creature with reach. Yeah, for sure. And what's number one on our list? It might not be a surprise, actually, because you're quite a big fan of it, but I think yeah. it's worth talking about. I know. It's weird because this card is surprisingly frustrating to some people, mm. um, but I think it has more love than hate, and I think it's probably one of my favorite designs of cards in the last God knows how long. And that is Brazen Borrower. So Brazen Borrower is a little bit pricey. How much is it again? It's, like it's about fourteen dollars. It's about fourteen dollars. So it is expensive. This is the most expensive card that we have talked about. But I gotta be honest, it's worth it. Now, if this is outside of your budget, that's totally understandable. Absolutely, you know, for it is expensive for a rectangle of cardboard. But should you get your hands on, say, like even two of these, they're so so powerful. So normally, I'm going to go on a little. Little, little tiny rant here for a minute, okay? Not even a rant. It's, it's more of a gush. It's more of a gush on okay. why the card is so good. So when it comes to theory, right, magic theory, tempo and card advantage are sort of at two different ends of the spectrum, right? If you want to tempo your opponent out, you're usually, usually doing it at the loss of card advantage. So think about like using an unsummon or a vapor snag. If your opponent mm. plays a creature, you then bounce it with unsummon. They still have the card, but you're now down a card. What has happened, though, is that their board presence is no further ahead. That's the tempo that you're gaining. And I don't want to go too far into tempo because, oh, God, it's so deep. It's one of the most complex parts of of magic theory in general. Um, We've also talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast. Exactly. But card advantage normally is on the other end where you are usually losing tempo in order to gain card advantage. So you are drawing cards rather than executing your game plan. Brazen Borrower throws that out the window because it is two cards in one. So essentially Petty Theft reads one in a blue instant, return target creature and opponent controls to, or non-land permanent and opponent controls to its owner's hand, draw a card, that card goes into exile and is a 3-1 flash flyer. Yeah. You know, it, it's incredible. It's incredible. You're no longer down a card. You now have access to a threat. You can bounce things. You can do everything. And I believe there was another card that we were going to consider for this spot. But if this was a different time in Magic, if this card would have been Vendillion Clique. Yeah. It's a really, really powerful card, Vendillion Clique, and still is to this day. But the thing with Magic now is that it's, as you said yourself, Emma, earlier on with the unbanning of Stoneforge Mystic, Modern is much more combat focused and board focused. And that was also sort of the backbone of Magic card design in the last couple of years as well. They mentioned that when it comes to new players coming along, 
they don't want to sit watching two empty boards and the commentators go oh this guy has it in the bag you know and like new players like how like they both have cards in hand and nothing on the board you know like they might not see what's already happened and what's taken place or what's in the graveyard or whatever whereas if it's more permanent focus like more permanent based you're able to see like oh well well, this player has 40 things on board and this person has three, you know, so it's a much easier and clearer indication. Brazen Borrower interacts with that a lot more than Vendillion Click does. Vendillion Click is much better when things are more stack based or more based on what's in your hand and that kind of thing. So the further back in Magic you go, probably the better Vendillion Click is. But the further forward you're going, it's looking like Brazen Borrower is going to be the one to reign supreme here, I think. I agree. And like Vendillion Click, I don't think you need to have four Brazen Borrower. You can easily get away with two or three. Probably no more than two, perhaps, because while it is a great effect and it's essentially two spells in one, you don't want to oversaturate your deck to compensate for it. And also, I'm I'm just going to mention, I really love the Avenger mechanic. I think it's one of the best mechanics Wizards have designed in a good few years, and I really hope to see it return. Um, example with Bonecrusher Giant is also a great example of that. Oh, we'll get to that when we get around to the red colour giant. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm, a big, I'm just a big fan of having, again, you could kind of say um, Brazen Borrow is modular, right? You can either bounce, oh, a spell, bounce a permanent or just play this free one threat. You know, yep. it's kind of the same thing. But yeah, while Brazen Borrow is on the expensive side, you're mm. going to need no more than two. And yeah. also, I will mention... Uh, it is in one of the challenger decks, I believe, which is about twenty dollars at the moment. I think it's the Simic deck. I, I want to say Simic Flash deck, yeah. Um, for like twenty bucks, twenty twenty five bucks, you can pick up the deck and you get a Brazen Borrower in the deck, and you also get a Sander deck. So it might actually work out better for you that way. I'm a big fan of the challenger decks anyway, because I think they're insane value, and you can play them straight out of the box. Yeah, absolutely. Just looked at the list there for the Flash of Ferocity challenger deck. And in it, yeah, you do get one Brazen Borrower. You've also got four Brineborn Cutthroat. I know we didn't really talk about it, but I have a secret love for this card. Um, it is a very good card. Yeah, it's like blue Tarmogoyf. But it's not Vantress Gargoyle, what are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, you have cards in there that, that will actually fit into other formats and stuff as well. Like, There's four Nightpack Ambusher there. They're mm. going to be relevant and standard for a good while. And, you know, I can absolutely see them seeing playing like Pioneer and stuff. In there, you also have four opt, so you won't have to pick up a playset. Mm, um, there you go. And there's also a fabled passage. So between the Brazen Borrower and the fabled passage itself, like that's enough to, yeah. to, to cover the cost of the entire deck. And then you just have a bunch of other stuff. Like the sideboard has some Aether Gusts and Mystical Disputes. Like you're definitely, it is stonks. If you pick this up, it is stonks. <laughs> yeah, get the Simic Flash deck for sure. <laughs> But yeah, I agree, Brazen Borrow is probably one of the better blue cards in modern at the moment. And like the discussion we had before the recording, it's really good just to own them because they're probably going to go up at some point when standard rotates. Yep. It's very unlikely they'll see a reprint in the next few years. So while $14 might seem a lot, it's probably going to be a lot more if you kind of sit on it. Not uh, literally. It, it might cost you more money in the long run if you just kind of put it to one side. So. Yeah, that was my arguing behind buying a playset as soon as I came out. Yeah. To round everything off, we have a deck that uses a bunch of spells and cards and stuff from uh, from our list here. Now, granted, there's a bunch of cards in here that don't go anywhere else at all, but it's still it's still fun and it kind of fits in with a number of the things we were talking about in terms of like tempo and card draw and value and the way that blue is mostly a Mostly the best combo color. 
Um, yes. It's a favourite of yours from what I can hear. It is oh. Twiddlestorm in Modern. Oh, which yes. which was really successful for like two weeks in the modern metagame when Lotus Field came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's such a fun deck. What does Twiddlestorm do? Okay, to to well, people who aren't as familiar. So I'll put the link to the deck list in the in the show description. But you want to get two lands out and then play a lotus field where it taps to add three mana of any color and then where it gets its name from twiddle storm is it runs what are called twiddle effects which is blue for an instant to tap or untap any target what you essentially want to do is you want to tap your lotus field for three mana and then use one mana to twiddle to untap it which will net gain you two mana and then you want to do this a bunch of times in order to generate a large amount of mana and cast a large number of spells a lot a lot of it is using like the arcane mechanic which was in kamigawa which allows you to pay additional costs with arcane spells in order to add a different additional abilities onto the cards and stuff and eventually you cast a past and flames and then you grape shot your opponent so it is it's got a traditional storm wind condition in that you grape shot your opponent's face it, it's tried and tested it works it ain't broke don't yep. fix it you know Absolutely. Um, but one thing that I really like about the deck is that it has one merchant scroll and you use the merchant scroll to search for either your psychic puppetry to start going off or bring up like a peer through depths or if you need to get something off the board, like say a damping sphere or something, there's a single echoing truth in the deck that you can tutor up instead. You know, there's all sorts of stuff here. And what's weird is, despite the fact that it is very much a combo deck and solely a combo deck, it is surprisingly interactive because all of those twiddle effects will allow you to interact with your opponent's permanents as well. So one favorite of mine is whenever I'm playing against a Tron opponent, which admittedly, you know, is like playing with my food a little bit because Tron opponents are generally easy targets for these kind of decks. But on their upkeep, you can just twiddle and tap their, like, tower or power plant or whatever and they that's essentially time walking them Mm. you know for for a whole turn for one blue mana you know that kind of thing is really really fun but uh out of the sideboard then you have empty the warrens and everything has different threats and options and stuff and then you have ways of dealing with permanence but one of my favorite things is it has thing in the ice in the sideboard cast a couple of spells and and bounce all of the things because there are no creatures really in the there's a vizier isn't there vizier of tumbling sands yeah but you cycle that in order to untap a permanent so you'll untap your lotus field um but the one thing that's really good about this deck is that it has a bunch of stuff in it that you would be able to use in other decks like it has the four seer envisions it has four sleight of hand echoing truth is already good to have Merchant Scroll is nice to have a one of, it's not too expensive. But then in the sideboard, like I said, you've got Thing in the Ice, you have some Spell Pierces, all sorts of stuff. And the whole deck comes in at $100. So cheap for a combo deck. It's incredibly cheap. So cheap for a modern deck, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that too. And one great thing about uh, Twiddlestorm is that you can easily port it into Giftstorm, the Fetchless version in modern, with a few, um, Mm. few, few land updates and a couple of extra sort of spells. Well, Manamorphos, for example, and you're good to go. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a really fun deck, and it's also just got a great name. I'm a sucker for decks that have really fun names. So yeah, yeah, it's it's in contention for best name in, in modern, I think. Agreed. So that wraps it up for this week. And uh, next week we are looking to continue the modern hundred dollar challenge, but we're going to delve into black. So it'll be really interesting to see how many removal spells we can fit in in a hundred dollar budget. <laughs> and can we squeeze in those thought seizers? 
Ooh, never know. If it gets reprinted double masters, who knows? Thank you for listening to the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com. You can follow us at the BMcast on Twitter, search for Budget Magicast on SoundCloud, and support us over at patreon.com forward slash budgetmagicast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.